Forbes Books presents The Sky's the Limit with host D. Brown, the president and CEO of the P3 Group, the nation's largest minority, public, private, partnership real estate developer. Here's D. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Sky's the Limit. I'm your host, D. Brown. Today, I'm going to mix it up a little bit, and I'm going to be interviewed by my producer, Joe Pertabella. So now, I'm going to turn the show over to Joe. Hola, it's Joe Partavilla, and thanks for joining me for another episode of the Forbes Books Podcast. And, you know, COVID has been brutal, but what are the long-term effects of the pandemic on the real estate market? In the short term, we've seen residential go boom and commercial go bust. And how will COVID change the way developers build and scale their business? My guest today might have some answers. His name is D. Brown, and he's the president and CEO of the P3 Group, the nation's largest minority-owned real estate developer that focuses exclusively on public-private partnerships. D. has nearly 30 years of experience in real estate sales, development, and management. And his next challenge will be to host a new podcast titled The Sky's the Limit. D, welcome. Hey, how you doing, Joe? I'm doing good. And, you know, I guess I want to start by this. Why real estate? Because it seems like a tough way to make a living. What inspired you to get into it? Joe, I first gained interest in real estate um, when I was about uh, 19 years old, hanging around an uncle that was trying to do some affordable housing developments. That led to me getting my real estate license. And, of course, I was um, a salesperson. Uh, at that time, went on to uh, start my own real estate and investment firm. After the recession in 08, I transitioned from being kind of a traditional you know, real estate developer to being a general contractor that was doing heavy civil concrete. After I started working for various government agencies, uh, I stumbled across some opportunities to do some public-private partnerships with a number of federal agencies, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in several districts, uh, Department of Interior, and ultimately the uh, the U.S. Navy's uh, nuclear facility in Goose Creek, South Carolina. And so after I started doing these P3s with the uh, federal government, it kind of led me back home to my first love, which was real estate. And I kind of merged my construction and development experience with my knowledge of doing public-private partnerships. And we began to deliver these projects for government agencies around the country. And so uh, I don't think it's a very difficult way to make a living, uh, in my opinion, <laughs> uh, because there's a significant need for infrastructure improvements, facility improvements in government agencies around the, the country. You know, our primary focus is smaller communities, but we do service communities of all you know sizes. But the services that we render, you know, the design, build, finance uh, solution, uh, it's one that we see that government agencies need because a lot of them do not have the technical resources to do these type of projects in-house. And when they attempt to do them in-house, they tend to come in over budget. The quality of work tend to be inferior. And so we, we feel that we offer a superior delivery method that allow projects to be delivered quickly for government agencies. Huh. But let's step back. Again, why real estate? I mean, you mentioned your uncle. What is it about? Because that's the one thing I'm really nosy about, because I see a lot of people in it. There's real estate companies that come in every shape, form, or size. But what does it do for you? Like, what does it do to your spirit, like your being? Why do you, why do you love it so much? I love what I do because we're doing not just your typical real estate transactions. We are actually impacting communities. 
Uh, we're impacting the quality of life for individuals in those communities. And so the projects that we're delivering uh, through our P3 model bring about a sense of pride, bring about legacy building, not just for us or myself as a company, but also for the uh, elected officials and administrations that are, you know, shepherding these projects forward. So these are these are game changers. You know, for example, uh, we are constructing a health unit uh, in Jefferson County, Arkansas. Now, the existing facility has mold, mildew. Uh, it's raining in the building. Workers have gotten sick from occupying the, that building. So this facility is a game changer. They not only provide safe and sanitary working condition for uh, the employees, they're also providing uh, good quality health care uh, for the citizens of that community. So when we deliver public safety, fire, uh, police, health care facilities to these communities, these are vital programs that the citizens need to be safe and secure and healthy within their communities. Uh, and, you know, one of the things you mentioned in that you excelled in was government contracting. And to a lot of people, they see this government contracting as this giant monolith. But I've spoken to a lot of people that are involved in it. And it really is, as big as it sounds, it's all about personal connections, right, when it comes down. Because at the end of the day, it's just one human being signing off on this one thing. It's not like you have to go to Congress or, or pass a law through the Senate. It's, it's, it's really these people connections in the world of government contracting, isn't it? Well, you know, in, in the world that we operate in, um, it's all about relationships, obviously, and it's about reputation. Uh, typically, you're going to have, you know, a, a city council or board of supervisors or, or some governing authority for that agency that's signing off on the project. So, but it's about relationships, obviously, uh, but it's also about, you know, credibility, past performance, and them feeling that you can actually provide the solutions that they're looking for. And can you break this down for me? Because the P3 group stands for public-private partnerships. In, in the simplest forms, because I know you're a real estate expert, so I am not, what does that mean, a public-private partnership? So a public-private partnership is essentially an agreement between a private company and some unit of the government, whether it's municipal, county, uh, federal, state, universities, colleges, et cetera. And, and that agreement typically transfer certain risk associated with delivering these uh, projects to the private sector. Mm -hmm. And they oftentimes result in a quicker, more robust delivery for the public sector. And the public sector get to transfer risk such as pre-construction risk, construction risk, execution risk. They, they get to transfer that risk to the private sector. And, you know, I'd love to get your opinion on this. You know, the pandemic, you hear this term long haulers, people that are still in, you know, enduring uh, the effects of COVID. And I feel just by reading up on what's happening in the real estate industry that Commercial real estate are going to be long haulers in this because the effects that the pandemic has had on real estate, and especially when it comes to commercial properties, it seems like it's going to be an uphill climb there. So talk to me about the now post, hopefully, post-pandemic effect on uh, commercial real estate. I believe that the commercial um, real estate industry is, is obviously going to have a significant adverse impact from the COVID-19 pandemic, I think in on multiple fronts. Obviously, uh, a number of large and small retailers have gone out of business uh, because sales have been down, revenues have been down. 
But also, uh, I think that a lot of companies figured out during the pandemic that they don't need as much you know, office space and that uh, they can get productivity from their employees working remotely. And so what I believe is that you'll start seeing offices downsize. Uh, there'll probably be you know, a significant amount of inventory on the market uh, that was vacated during the pandemic. Uh, of course, the sector you know that we operate in is a little bit different because we are providing essential public facilities and infrastructure mm. to the government. And so the needs of the citizens of each community don't change because there's a pandemic. And what we have been doing as a company uh, on projects that we're developing, we are actually integrating responses to this pandemic within our designs. For instance, projects that we construct now have negative air pressure which prevent the airborne transmission of um, infectious diseases. Wait, hold on uh, a second. That sounds pretty impressive. How the heck do you do that? Well, there's a there's a technology out called you know, negative pressure that essentially prevents the transmission of infectious diseases through the ventilation system. Wow. So, it, it, yeah, so it's a uh, clean air uh, technology that exists, and we're incorporating those into our designs. Is that um, like a huge spend or i mean how much does it add to budgets of, of these future projects because it sounds like something that people will want to have whether it's a pre-existing building or a new building right i mean how, what, what kind of expense are we talking about you know obviously it, it, it would vary depending on the um size of the facility that you're you know installing it mm-hmm. but i would imagine it would add maybe about 20 percent, 25 percent to the cost of your uh, mechanical system Wow. And, and again, in the long run, it's sort of like the, the, the short term pain of paying that. But the long term is can be quite profound because you're seeing and I'm not sure it's, if the sa- it's the same technology that, that the airplanes use. But you've noticed that w- once the airline industry picked up, uh, you know, after that pandemic stoppage, they, you haven't heard about outbreaks on planes and stuff like that. And it just goes to show you how important these kind of negative spaces that you're talking about are going to be going forward. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and there are other things we're doing. I mean, we're building uh, facilities that, ha- that have COVID-19 testing, drive-through testing uh, facilities integrated into the uh, design. Uh, we are constructing a coroner's office uh, that has a decontamination unit that allows for the coroner and the deputy coroners to decontaminate uh, after coming in contact with a deceased individual that may have an infectious disease and before they go into the administrative area of the facilities. And we have the administrative areas and the uh, morgue and, and, and those areas separated. And again, negative air pressure is being utilized. Washable walls and floors within the morgue that would allow for easy cleaning and decontamination of those areas as well. So there are a lot of things and a lot of lessons learned uh, from this pandemic. And so I think from at least from our perspective uh, as a uh, P3 developer, we are incorporating those lessons learned into our designs going forward. How much of this is new to you in terms of, you know, the negative air pressure and the health ramifications? Was this something that was on top of mind or even part of the bottom line when you were doing stuff pre-March of 2020? Or was this all new for you? No, these are are actually lessons learned from the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Prior to that, uh, honestly, we weren't thinking about negative uh, air pressure in facilities because we weren't really thinking about, you know, airborne infectious diseases. Right. And so COVID-19, because of how easily it was transmitted, you know, through the air, you know, made us sit back and think about, hey, you know, how do we respond to these uh, these type of situations now uh, within the design of facilities that we're delivering? 
I mean, making sure that, you know, spacing, adequate spacing is available for uh, people to have uh, workstations that are sufficiently distanced from each other and those sorts of things. We just did not think about it before COVID-19. How crazy is this that you're in this world now where it's like it's it's almost like, you know, you use the phrase game changer, like the, your game has changed completely. Whereas back, I'm sure back in the day, it was just like build buildings, make them safe, make them easy, make them so that everyone has access to them. But now this is how, how bizarre is it for you? Oh, it's very bizarre because, you know, it, it's changed the way that we approach each project. So every project that we look at now, we have to think about. What if, right? What if there's another pandemic? You know, what can this facility be used for? Uh, we're designing a health and wellness facility, for example, that is, you know, has basketball court, indoor track, etc. However, uh, it can be converted into an emergency uh, hospital, and and actually have patients served there in the in the event of another pandemic, and there's a significant need for additional uh, hospital beds. And so, those are the sort of things that we just did not think about before March of uh, 2020. Hmm. And so what do you see, you know, we talked about the, these commercial real estate properties and, and you know, I'm, I live in the suburbs now and I see these large scale like business parks. Do you see those being, you know, dinosaurs, like the idea of a business park that has like, uh, you know, several hundred offices and, you know, a lot of lease space? I mean, I know that's not where you're, that's not your bag right now, but do you see a lot of those commercial real estate properties being like, what do we do now with these, these kind of entities? Yeah, I think there's going to be a significant impact on these large scale commercial developments, both on the uh, office and retail side. Uh, I think that you're going to see um, a diminished demand for large commercial spaces as well as large retail spaces, because what is happening is people are getting it done right without all of the excess space. Mm -hmm. So now you have to reevaluate. Right. When you go into a market, do I do I open a full office? Or do I allow, uh, allow my people to work remotely? Uh, and I think what COVID-19 did, it proved that people can work remotely and be productive. It proved that people can shop and buy goods online without having to go into a retail location. And so I think that you're going to see diminished demand uh, for those areas. Does it scare you in terms of we never saw this coming. And in a, in a world where you're building buildings and communities for people, like, do you think to yourself, like, man, I don't know if I could, I'll be prepared for the next thing. Or do you just, is it one of those things where maybe just because you've been doing this for a long, it's like, you just roll with the punches. You just, you have to evolve or die. I think you have to evolve or die. I mean, with, with everything that happens, there's always opportunity, whether it's uh, something positive or something negative. Uh, there's always an opportunity, right, for innovative companies to thrive in that space. And so what we have seen, at least through this pandemic, uh, cities still recognize that we, we have to provide essential services to our, citi our citizens. Hmm. And so our job is, has been to understand that there's still a need for these services, but how do we deliver these services, taking into account all of the, the um, needs and requirements that need to be integrated into these designs to address what we've learned through this pandemic. So, no, it's, it doesn't concern me. I, I, I see opportunity in, in all of this. And, you know, one of the things we noticed with the pandemic, and you, you talked about the ability for businesses to have their employees work from home, is the fact that cities like New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, they don't have to have the monopoly on talent anymore because now you can live in Arkansas but work for a Silicon Valley tech company. So right. how do you think that's going to change 
the real estate world in terms of these smaller communities that aren't used to having all these people? Do you see something like, you know, I know WeWork was, did not work out well, but but do you see more of like a WeWork style format for companies that, you know, they can have places they can go that aren't just in New York or L.A.? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and this was actually going on prior to the pandemic. But I think since the pandemic and people were forced to work remotely, I think that all of these are going to be um, the type of options that companies are going to consider going forward because it saves significantly on cost. And I think that a lot of companies realize that, you know, we are getting it done, whether we're at home or in the office, uh, we're getting it done and we're still making things happen for our businesses. And I think ultimately the commercial uh, market is going to suffer uh, because of that. Let's talk about a couple of things that uh, P3 does. Uh, There's two delivery methods that I'm aware of. It's Design, build, finance, and design, build, finance, operate, maintain. And they have acronyms for that, DBF and DBFOM. So can you break those down for me? So most of our projects are delivered under the design, build, finance model. And essentially what that means is that we don't require our public partners, the municipality, the county government, university or college, to pay any money up front for the project. We design the project. Well, with their input and with their specifications in mind, we provide the capital for the project and then we deliver the completed project for them. And, but they take possession of the project. They operate it, maintain it, and they make annual payments for a pre-agreed upon period of time, which could be 20 years, 30 years or you know anywhere in between. And so that's a design build finance model. So do you become essentially the landlords of that property in an oversimplified way of saying things? Yeah, we are we are the landlords of the property, but okay. because we because we uh, finance our projects in the capital markets, uh, what we do is we actually assign those rights to be of uh, the lessor mm-hmm. uh, to the bond trustee, and so the bond trustee steps in and actually acts as the landlord. For the duration of the financing period. So in other words, they collect the payments, they distribute the payments to the bondholders, and uh, we have very, very limited uh, you know, responsibilities during that uh, remainder of that time frame. Got it. Okay. And, and then what was the other method, the DBFOM? Yeah. So design, build, finance, operate, and maintain is essentially the same thing I described for the design, build, finance method, except that the operation and maintenance is typically outsourced to a third-party facility uh, management or facility, you know, maintenance type uh, organization, and so that way the the end user, that government partner that we've delivered the project to, uh, they don't have to deal with any of the the operation and maintenance of the building. Uh, but there's a fee that's built into the project that's paid, you know, annually to cover the cost of, of that service that's being provided by the third-party service provider. Okay. And so talk to me about which communities you're focusing in. Are we, are we talking about, because you mentioned Arkansas, are we talking like urban communities, uh, rural? Where, where are you guys focusing on these days? We focus on markets from Illinois all the way down to Florida. Uh, so we are right now in about 11 markets. Uh, our focus is underserved uh, communities. Uh, that's what we specialize in. And by underserved, I mean communities that have you know, smaller population. Uh, less sophisticated construction staff, uh, engineering staff. And so those type of communities tend to need our services more. And so our typical community would have less than 100,000 persons population. Uh, But that doesn't mean we won't service a a larger community, Mm -hmm. but that's our primary focus. 
And so we are in uh, the smaller communities. Like I say, right now we're in uh, 11 markets. Two of those markets are, you know, international, one in the Bahamas and one in the uh, Virgin Islands. It almost sounds like it's a one-stop shop for underserved communities because, like you said, they may not have the construction capabilities, capital capabilities, but you come in and, and provide everything soup to nuts. Did I oversimplify what you do? No, you, no, you described it um, to the T. Okay. And, and the biggest benefit is this. We have an integrated process. So in our integrated process, we have construction managers, we have architects, engineers, everyone that works for us. And so we can influence the cost in a positive manner because we have the integration of all the experts at the beginning of the design process. What happens in smaller communities as well as larger communities, they design a project, they have a budget, but they really don't don't know what the cost is going to be until they go to the bid market. Mm -hmm. And then oftentimes those projects come in above budget and they have to then either value engineer uh, try to raise additional capital, et cetera, to complete the project. Sometimes the projects never get completed, but they've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on design services. With our process, we control the budget so that we know that we're going to be able to deliver a project within the budget that's allocated by the public partner. And so we do that very well. Uh, we call it an integrated project delivery method. Uh, and we have all the stakeholders along with all of our experts at the table together from the beginning to the end, from cradle to grave during the process. And you mentioned your work's uh, focusing Illinois to Florida. What kind of projects are we talking about? Uh, and uh, You mentioned morgue, so sure. I'm assuming I'm assuming some uh, pu- public services sure. building. But w- no, what else absolutely. are you guys working on? So we're doing, you know, fire stations, uh, courthouses. Uh, we just opened a municipal courthouse yesterday. Uh, we're doing uh, educational facilities. In, in Illinois, we're doing a pre-K facility for a school district there. Uh, we are doing uh, a new beachfront restoration project uh, for another city in Illinois. Uh, we are doing um, m- multiple fire stations. Uh, we're doing fire and rescue facilities, uh, police stations, student housing, student union and classroom facilities uh, that's under uh, development for a college. We, we're doing a lot of solar in fact, uh, last quarter of uh, 2020, we decided that every project we do would have solar integrated into it. In the Virgin Islands, we're working on uh, student housing, uh, golf course, uh, solar, as well as energy efficiency for the existing facilities uh, on uh, UVI's campus. Uh, so we have a variety of project types. All of them are pretty critical to the operations of these public entities and enterprises. And, and that's what we love to do. How giddy do you get when you when you open up? You just mentioned you did it. You did an opening, and and you have firehouses on the way. How cool is it still to have that? You know that even though it's probably not no longer the pomp and circumstance because of the pandemic of of what it used to be. But how cool is it now to still be at that opening of a building? And be like wow, this is you know if it wasn't for us, this would not be here. Oh, it's a uh, it's a humbling experience. I mean, you know, you're excited, you're happy because you've uh, delivered another you know critical asset to a community. But you're also humbled because you understand that this facility is more than just a building, right? These buildings where people are charged with either saving lives, maintaining the city's uh, you know, records, maintaining law and order, uh, those sorts of things. So it's a very uh, humbling experience when you realize the type of uh, impact that these faci- these facilities are having on communities. And one of the things that, that, that strikes me about your organization is the variety. And you actually use the word variety 
about you know it's like it, you guys are like a pizza place that sells hamburgers because you <laughs> you're doing beachfront <laughs> you're doing firehouses how are you able to offer such an amazing variety of things i mean is it's to me it just sounds it sounds overwhelming like i could like it'd be hard enough for me to like figure out how to build a firehouse but then also you're building a beachfront community so how do you handle all that well you know it's it's really a um you have to have a strong team it's a, it's a team effort and so what we do, we have our uh, national team that's on every project with us. And then whatever project we're taking on that may be uh, a little different, then we hire another firm that's an expert in that area. Mm-hmm. And we put them to work to, to, to make sure that we, ha- we can deliver the highest quality project. So it's really just about building you know, the team. And, you know, uh, Bill Gates coined the phrase, you know, content is king when it comes to any kind of content we consume online or, you know, in real life. But in the world of entrepreneurship, you know this as well as anybody, capital is king. So talk to me, talk to me about capital and gaining capital for these projects. How difficult is it? Who do you work with? Run that down for me. All of the the pre-development costs are carried in-house, so we don't borrow any money to develop projects. So we do we handle all the architectural design, engineering uh, design um, in-house. We are a debt-free company. When we get ready to fund the projects, uh, we typically deliver our projects through a tax-exempt lease purchase agreement. And then we have a bond underwriter and an investment banker, along with a team of lawyers that take our uh, lease purchase agreements. And they participate them out to large banks that looks that want to have tax exempt debt on their books. So essentially, we create our own municipal bonds hmm. and then we sell those bonds to big banks and those big banks cash us out of the lease agreements. So you don't have to chase after capital on any of these projects? No, everything is done in house. I mean, uh, here's going to be like a, a, a really difficult answer to a short question, but how do you do that? Well, the key is access to the capital markets through our investment banking relationship with Municipal Capital Markets Group. We can go to the capital markets and basically sell bonds uh, on, on a project. And, and, you know, obviously municipal bonds sell uh, because they're government you know, bonds. They have a very, very low default rate. Most municipal bonds never default. The very, very small percentage that do aren't permanent defaults. They're typically uh, short term interruption in payment. So it's a very secure investment. When we underwrite the project, we know that the uh, the project is solid. Municipal Capital purchased the uh, the bonds initially from us, and then they resell those to uh, large banks. Wow, that's how did you? How, I mean, how does one figure that out? <laughs> how did you, how, I mean, you make it sound so easy, but I'm sure it wasn't easy to get there. Well, you know, absolutely not. Uh, you know, we've we've been blessed to make some good, strong relationships that have been in place now for you know a number of years, uh, which have allowed us to uh, grow uh, in the P three space to be one of the leading companies in the country uh, that deliver you know projects under a P three model. But no, it's a, it's a very complicated process yeah. uh, that requires you know typically uh, a typical transaction that will. maybe four or five law firms uh, working on the transaction. Uh, so there's a lot of work that goes into it, but it's a, uh, you know, it's a niche market. 
uh, that require, you know, special uh, expertise and, and, and obviously access to the capital markets. Uh, but what that does for us is give us essentially unlimited access to capital. Hmm. Uh, and, and of course, we're not, um, you know, the, the, the debt uh, is backed by the credit of the lease, right? And so that municipal partner that's committing to making those annual payments, uh, you know, that's what uh, allows those those bonds to sell easily into the market. Wow. Do you have, uh, I mean, it sounds like you've done so much with your P3 group, but is there a bucket list property or project that you're like, I want to do one of these? Do you have one of those? One of the things that I've wanted to really uh, do for a long time is to develop internationally, you know, in the Caribbean islands, projects that had significant solar integrated into the uh, project so that we could offset the cost of utilities uh, as part of this process. And so we have a project that we feel like is coming up that's going to allow us to do that. I think that there's a very big opportunity in the Caribbeans to integrate solar uh, into the uh, grid uh, because, you know, obviously uh, because of the reliance on fossil fuel and the importation of fossil fuel, uh, utility rates are extremely high. Uh, in the Virgin Islands, they're paying 46 cents a kilowatt hour for electricity. So we can offset the cost significantly, saving them a lot of money and using those savings to deliver other critical uh, infrastructure and facilities to the public partner. And so that's one of the things that's on my bucket list is to is to do that. Uh, so I, I, I think we will uh, get there this year. Yeah, you know, just chatting with you for about 30 minutes, I have no doubt that you'll probably, I can imagine like next time we talk, oh yeah, we already put those solar panels up. We're good to go. Yeah, They're right. already, already done. <laughs> but his name is Dee Brown. He's the president and chief executive officer of the P3 Group. Dee, thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate you. That's it for this episode of The Sky's the Limit. If you enjoy the show, make sure that you take a second to subscribe so that you get my new shows when they drop. Also, if you have a minute, I would love for you to leave a review so more people like yourself can discover the show. I'll see you next time. This has been The Sky's the Limit with Dee Brown. To find out more about Dee, go to dbrownceo.com. And to connect with the P3 Group, check out thep3groupinc.com. The Sky's the Limit is a production of Forbes Books.